Good morning. Good to see the children wanting to join in, isn't it? Very good, and we're thankful for our musicians and those who work up the worship service and lead us in worship every week. It's good to join together, to gather together, then sing together, then look into the Word together and pray together, <clears throat> just to honor God, just to thank Him for what He's done for us. Let's pray now before we look into God's Word. Lord, we give you thanks for all that you do for us. And we thank you, Lord, that you've put it in our hearts to worship you in song, to value your word, <clears throat> to love one another as you have told us to. And pray that you would open our eyes to uh, your word this morning, that we may really benefit from it and be better people from having had more of your word inside our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Have you ever had someone in your life that you would call intolerant? How might you describe an intolerant person? <clears throat> Maybe they won't listen to anyone else's suggestion. They refuse to put up with or deal with someone who doesn't agree with them. Uh, someone right now may be thinking of a parent or a cranky grandparent. I can say that now. <laughs> or a certain teacher they had or an employer. Um, you might describe somebody like that as someone who's just set in their ways not really to listen to any other way to do something. I want you to listen to this one dictionary definition of intolerance. It says, unwilling to grant equal freedom of expression, especially in religious matters. So I guess we get kind of pointed out as intolerant if we're religious. And this one says, unwilling to grant or share social, political, or professional rights, and then it says, bigoted. <laughs> so you can see what intolerance, the, the general impression that people have about intolerance. Now, when we're talking about intolerance, we're usually talking about something negative, aren't we? As just seen by those two definitions from the dictionary. But can intolerance sometimes be a good thing? And can tolerance sometimes be a bad thing? Today we're going to be looking at the end of chapter 2 of the book of Revelation in the New Testament. Chapters 2 and 3 <clears throat> are made up of seven letters to seven first century churches that Jesus is dictating to John the Apostle and he's supposed to get these letters sent to the seven churches in the Middle East, which is today modern-day Western Turkey. And these letters to these churches point out good things and things they need to work on. So they're really good for any church to look at to see, you know, if we're really moving in the right direction. 
So the church we're going to look at today is the church in the ancient city of Thyatira. Now this church in Thyatira, it's in chapter 2 of the book of Revelation. It's the last church listed in chapter 2. And this church in Thyatira is doing some really good things. And Jesus mentions those things. And just before he gets to those good things, he's going to introduce himself in each letter, each of the seven letters, he describes himself with some characteristics that show his character. And it's a different description in each letter. But each one, of course, is true. But if you look with me at uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18. It says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write... You know, I've been saying that the word angel is really the word messenger because angels were messengers for God. And people differ over whether it's a real angel, kind of like a guardian angel of that church that's taking that message, or if it's a leader in the church who has a heavenly message but is a human. But anyway, it says, These are the words of the Son of God... And this is Jesus talking, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Blazing fire, eyes, and burnished bronze feet. Now, blazing fire refers to penetrating insight. Jesus can see through the surface. Jesus can see right down to the heart. He can see past motive, or he can see motives past the outward, you know, smile or whatever it is. And blazing fire would be a picture of judgment. So Jesus is this judge, and he can see right down to the heart. And he describes himself here as the Son of God, you know, the eternal, all-powerful, only begotten Son of the living, eternal God creator and judge of all humanity. So that's how he's setting himself up as far as describing himself before he gives instructions to this church. And feet like burnished bronze, well, the local patron uh, god of that area was Apollo, and he was a warrior god. So Jesus describes himself with burnished bronze. I keep getting that word mixed up there, burnished bronze as this glowing, powerful warrior and as the true righteous judge who can see into the heart. So that's how he's presenting himself here as he goes on to talk to this church about good and bad things. But now verse 19 will show the good things. It's not moving. Thank you. He says, I know your deeds. And then he lists their deeds right after that. Your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. So Jesus is saying, I see the good things that you are doing. I see the good works that you are doing. He's talking about love and faith, caring for one another, helping one another, 
willing to make sacrifices for others' benefit. And then faith, living in faithfulness to God, living according to your faith, living to please God, living according to his word, his values, his counsel. So Jesus is saying, I see these good things in your church. And he mentions service and perseverance. They're willing to get in there and do what they need to do. They have servants' hearts, a willingness to jump in and take part in the work, a willingness to stand up and step up and help out. And isn't that the engine of a church? I mean, we have to have willing people in order to get the work done, in order to do what needs to be done. You have to have those that are willing to serve. And Jesus says, you have that. And then there's perseverance. Perseverance is is the key part of the Christian faith. It's not giving up. Because we're promised that we will suffer in some way as Christians. And we saw that our leader, Jesus Christ himself, suffered horribly. But perseverance is hanging in there when things get tough. Keeping our eyes on Christ when we feel like giving up or quitting or walking away or people aren't appreciating us or we get rejected or whatever it is, any bad thing it is, we're supposed to work through that, hang on to Jesus Christ as those things happen. And then he says, and you're doing more now than you were at the beginning. And that's a really good compliment. They're increasing in their good works. They're increasing in the things that they are doing well. You know, sometimes <clears throat> excuse me, churches begin with all kinds of good intentions. You know, most of the time they do. There's a lot of excitement, people pledging to do certain things. But then, you know, things don't go the way you're expecting. They're going slower than you want, all that kind of stuff. People leave. Excitement wanes. Individuals begin to drop off. The mood just kind of goes downhill. And so he says, and you guys now are doing more than you did at the first. So you've increased. So he says these good things about the church. Now, just before we move on, <clears throat> uh, I need to tell you something about Thyatira that could be the source of problems as we move on into this passage that Jesus is going to talk to them about. Now, in the past, this is our fourth church. In the past, we've been talking about emperor worship, the imperial cult, where in the Roman government, they came to a point where they wanted everybody to worship the emperor as God or as a God. And that would just kind of bring everybody together and move out all religions <clears throat> but that wasn't Thyatira's biggest problem. Their biggest problem was something at the center of their civic life, what their society revolved around, and it was the trade guilds back in that first century. And people would form their social life and even their religious life around these trade guilds, you know, these people that had this, the same occupation, they would form a guild <clears throat> and really serve each other through that. It'd be like their church even. And there would be merchants and tanners and potters and bakers and iron workers, linen makers, 
And, and the, these guilds were more like fraternal orders than labor unions. They didn't really, uh, like today, they set the wages and that sort of thing. But back then, they were just a source of fellowship and helping each other. And each guild had its own patron god or goddess. And they would have frequent religious festivals. And it all uh, went around the guilds. That's what kind of brought them together. And then Christians were, were pressed to participate in these guilds, which involved idolatrous you know, worship services or idolatrous feasts that would be linked with that guild. And they would organize for mutual protection to help each other, for social events and religious events, like I was saying. <clears throat> they would sponsor feasts, and they were, they, it was at the heart of their social and commercial life of the city. And then when someone would refuse to participate, that wasn't a good thing. They would be pressured. They may hurt their business. It would, it would turn people against them. <clears throat> and so we have this first century church in Thyatira receiving praise from Jesus for their good deeds, for their faithfulness and perseverance. But it's all under this pressure from these trade guilds that were just like they just took over the, the city, basically. And, they, and these trade guilds would kind of mark off telling them what they're supposed to do, how to live, what things they were supposed to attend, and that sort of thing. And so as we move into Jesus talking to the church about things that they need to change and that sort of thing, that's, I'm sure, behind, you know, that part of their problems is because they're getting pressured. So that's, that's just what is going on in the background. But now we're going to move on to a problem that Jesus is going to bring up. And it's a very significant one. And within this significant problem, <clears throat> like I said, the trade guilds aren't mentioned, but they're probably, they could be very instrumental in them. But follow with me if I read verses 20 through 23. He says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. And this is where scholars think that the trade guilds might be a part of that. And Jezebel would be one who steps out and tries to lead. <clears throat> he says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. And I will repay each of you according to your deeds. <clears throat> now earlier I talked about dealing with intolerant people. And perhaps, probably, in fact, we've all had to deal with people like that. Someone that's intolerant in our extended family or place of work. 
But Jesus was saying that this church was too tolerant. Wasn't intolerant enough. Now, of course, you know, we don't want to be an intolerant person in the sense of being hard to get along with, always having to have our way, always looking at things just from our own perspective. But Jesus was saying that this church was being way too tolerant with this woman that he called Jezebel. Now, he calls her Jezebel, and that's, that's a famous person in a sense from the Old Testament. She was the, an evil wife of an evil king, Ahab. <clears throat> and she led the northern kingdom of Israel into the worship of false gods, into Baal worship. And it wasn't just the worship of Baal and the false god, but also included, in her case, a lot of sexual immorality, a lot of licentiousness. And so Jesus says, as we looked at in verse 20, by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of sacrificed foods. Idolatry. And so she has that influence upon that church for some of the people in the church. And it's become a problem. And then he says, <clears throat> whoops, I went the wrong way. I will cast her on a bed of suffering and make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. Now, that usually meant <clears throat> cast somebody on a bed of suffering. If God did that, it usually meant they were going to get this disease that would lead to death and they would be suffering on this bed, unable to do anything else. And then it says her children... I will strike her children dead. Probably means her spiritual children, those who follow her and those who also would not turn away from what she was doing. And Jesus says when he brings suffering on this or he brings punishment on this so-called prophet, it will be a sign to the churches that Jesus is the head of the church. She's trying to take control, and she's gathering a, a following, and she's causing lots of trouble, and people are following her and listening to her, but he's showing that he's the one who searches the hearts and minds and judges people's motives and actions. So that's who Jesus is. And as a church, <clears throat> we are first and foremost responsible to Jesus Christ. You know, you get into places in the world and they, want you, they don't want you to be responsible to Jesus Christ. They want you to just re be responsible to the state. And we have people in our nation that would like to do that. Some think that way. Others don't. <clears throat> but it can happen anywhere. But Jesus is saying, he's the head of the church. We can't push Jesus aside when society starts to move in another direction, we have to follow the true, eternal judge of mankind, Jesus Christ, with the blazing fire eyes and the burnished bronze feet. Now, there are a couple of things I'd like to say here. First of all, there is a time for intolerance, isn't there? 
But it can't be out of selfishness or jealousy or spite or power grabbing. We can't do that in the church. We shouldn't do that in the church. It, it does happen, <clears throat> but we have to guard against that. If we are going to stand up against someone or try to stop someone, it has to be out of pure motives. It has to be out of love for the church and even for the person. It has to be from a desire to help others and stop wrong or stop a movement towards what is wrong or stop evil or false teaching from ma making its way through the church. And in order for us to be able to stop teaching that's wrong, if somebody starts passing teaching that's wrong, we have to know the Bible, don't we? It can't just be something we don't like. It has to be something that is against the Word of God. We have to know the Bible well enough to recognize dangerous teachings. In these churches, they didn't know the Bible well enough to recognize dangerous teachings. At least a good number of them didn't. <clears throat> and today, we see it in the churches. People are coming in and they're taking churches in a wrong direction. Or they're taking individuals in a wrong direction. But we have to be well-versed enough in the Bible to know when somebody's going in the wrong way and, and moving away from the Bible. And sometimes they'll use verses and they can fool a lot of people by using a verse. But they're, they're contrary to the scriptures. They lead people to serious harm or even doubting God. We can't allow ourselves to be taken in by someone just because they have that real nice smile and they seem so sincere and they can recite verses with such passion. And you know there are many out there who can sound so convincing and they can just get the tears coming at just the right time. And they can quote verses with such passion. And they can act like their only concern is you, even through the TV screen. And they lead thousands upon thousands away from the truth. Now, there are many, many good teachers out there, but this happens. It's happened in the first century. It's been happening all the way through the church's history. And this church in Thyatira and last week's church in Pergamum, they both fell to the same trap. <clears throat> the Pergamum church was falling prey to the teachings of Balaam and the teachings of the Nicolaitans. And the church was tolerating those false teachings that were affecting their people. That's the problem, because some were, being taken, some were being trapped and taken captive, and others weren't, but they weren't stopping it. Those false teachings were leading Christians to get involved in, the, in things in their society, like sexual immorality and idolatry. And now we have Jezebel, whatever her real name is, we have Jezebel doing the same thing here in Thyatira. In the case of Jezebel... She claimed to be a prophet, but her prophecies were leading people into sexual immorality and idolatry. And perhaps here is where the trade guilds played a big part. But the biggest problem was that the churches were allowing it. They were too tolerant. <clears throat> Both the Pergamum church and the Thyatira church, they were doing some really good work. 
they were in, in Pergamum, they weren't denying Christ even when it would, could have cost them their life. But they were allowing this poison to spread throughout the church. So Jesus is warning these churches, you can't let this happen. Now, you know, on the one hand, we don't want to be <clears throat> start jumping up and down and screaming anytime we hear somebody give a little different view of, of something than we think. But there are serious dangers, serious teachings or dangerous teachings that can cause a lot of hurt and damage in a church. And sometimes there are individuals who by their desire to control or make a name for themselves can cause serious damage if, too, if we're too tolerant. So, you know, it doesn't even have to be a false doctrine. <clears throat> it could be somebody with a strong personality who's trying to gain a following and they're starting to cause trouble in the church and that's what we have to really, you know... Uh, pay attention to and make sure that people aren't getting hurt and people aren't getting led the wrong way. But you know, it all goes back to being well-versed in the scriptures. Because if we're well-versed in the scriptures, we can spot serious error and we can recognize spiritual danger. It's talking to a church leader if you think something is wrong. If you think something is is dangerous. But let's look at verses 24 and 25 now. <clears throat> he says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. For those who had not, you know, imbibed in this false teaching from Jezebel, he says, I have no other burden to put on you. Hold on to the hope that you have in Christ. Jesus is saying, hold on to the hope you have in me. Don't let go of that hope. Whatever you've placed in me, keep it there. Because he is the true answer. And there is no other answer outside of Jesus. Don't allow anyone to move us away from salvation in Christ. And it happens all the time. People are trying to show us any other way to do it except through Christ. And Satan's plan is to get us to doubt God's goodness. To get us to doubt his promises. To get us to doubt his character. And people will point things out. Well, how could, this, how could God be good if this happens? But they don't know the big picture. We don't know the whole picture. We do know enough of the picture that God sent his son to be murdered, beaten, bloodied, and die on a cross to pay for the sins of the whole world. That pretty much says it right there. You know, the eternal son of God who has lived in bliss and glory, who existed in bliss and glory for eternity, comes down, becomes a man. God sends him down to take on the, the, the pain and suffering to take care of the sins of the world. And so he says, hold on to what you have until I come. 
be persevering. Christ is coming. And we think, well, we've been waiting a long time. But everybody had to wait a long time for his first coming, didn't they? Millennia. Now we've been waiting a long time. But Jesus says, I'm coming soon. He means always be ready. Now, <clears throat> he says to the one who is victorious, that, who holds on till the end, and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Now, that can sound a little confusing, you know, Sounds pretty violent. But he's talking about a military victory. And what he's talking about, we're waiting for Christ. We're waiting for him to make all things right. He's going to come down and he's going to take back his earth from those who have tried to take it from him. And in the end, this is, this is hard to even imagine. In the end, armies of the world are going to be gathering to stop Christ from coming back and claiming his earth, reclaiming his earth. And he's going to come down, and it's going to be a lot of carnage, but it's going to be people who just will not turn to him. And they're going to be destroyed, and he's going to put his kingdom on the earth, and we're going to live with him forever, everyone who holds on to the end. And the morning star is Christ himself. So a big part of the message of the gospel the message of salvation in Christ is being a part of Christ's reclaiming the earth. We're going to be a part of that. He's going to bring the saints with them who have died. And all those who are waiting here for him will be a part of that. And he says, hold on to what you have until I come. He came once to pay for our sins through his death on the cross. And he's coming again to reclaim God's creation. We want to be on the winning side. Satan wants us to give up on Christ. He tries to convince us that that's, that's, a, hopeless, that's a hopeless cause. He wants to turn us away from Christ, but we must be intolerant. We must put our full trust in Christ, and we will be victorious. And so in our last verse, he says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your plan. It uh, sometimes doesn't make the most sense to us, but that's because our, our knowledge is so limited and you are all wise and you know all things for all eternity. So we put our trust in you and Lord, help us to persevere, to do the good things until you come back and hold on to our hope in you and never sway and never be uh, moved 
by others who want to want us to turn away from you, but always put our claims in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.